Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in sermon number seven. We are doing a sermon series out of Peter, First Peter, called Our Living Hope. And it's hard to believe that we're only at verse 11 of chapter 2, and we're already in uh, sermon number 7. But we will begin our reading today in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 12. First Peter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Now, let me just say this. He has given us a lot of theology. He's talked a lot so far about our relationship uh, with him. He's talked a lot about who we are in Christ. He's talked to us as Gentiles about how we, through Christ, uh, along with Jews who have trusted in Christ, we now are the chosen people of God. And uh, he spent a lot of time with that. He is about to go into another section here. You'll see the transition pretty clearly, but he's about to start talking about the practical aspect of all of that, how we're to live this out, what it's to do to our lives. Let's read together. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You might not know this, but glow sticks shine in the dark, but they have to be exposed to the light, and when exposed to the light, objects that have the phosphorescent substance in them take in light in short wavelengths, and they hold the light longer than fluorescent would, and the phosphorescent releases that light in long wavelengths, and therefore Uh, after the lights are out for some times, they keep releasing it and they glow in the dark. And and, and you might not have the same background in science that I do. Uh, And maybe you didn't get on Google (laughs) and look that up, but I did. (laughs) But glowing in the dark, the only thing that I wanted to make sure I understood is nothing glows in the dark until it has been exposed to the light. It has no power on its own. But once it's exposed to the light, and the more light that to which it is exposed, the more intense it can reflect that light later. Uh, I'm sure John the Baptist, I, I don't know what he knew about phosphorescence, but John said that he was not the light. He tells us that in John's gospel, actually, the uh, writer John tells us this about John the Baptist. He says in John chapter 
1, verse 7, that he was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. We are not the light, but we have the light within us, and we are to demonstrate that light to the world around us. Think about that. We are told by Jesus Christ himself that we are to be salt and light. That's two things that are known for their influence. Nobody just eats salt just by the handfuls, and, and, and light within itself is nothing. But in the dark, it influences that atmosphere, and it changes that darkness the same way salt can change the taste of food. But it says that if we lose that influence, if we lose that ability to influence the world around us, then we are useless. We're going to talk today about how to shine in the dark. And, and I, I don't have to tell you, I, it is so many things that I, nowadays it's just day by day. You, you, you don't have to go back several weeks to come up with some story about some crazy happening or some decision that some politician somewhere has made. You can just start this week here. Dr. Seuss got the hammer, I understand, and a school system up in Virginia. He was considered to be, uh, I don't know, offensive to somebody. It, it, it's, it's on and on, and all kinds of crazy things are, are, are happening. People are, and I, I guess the best way I know to say it, and we'll just say this and move on, but we live in a world that has declared war on reality. And when you do that, you're going to lose. You're going to look stupid doing it, and you're going to lose. You just, you, it, 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 there is no way to win that. We, we've learned in our worldview studies that reality is how things are as determined by God. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. You can't have yours and I can't have mine. Truth is objective. It is a description of how things are. Like it or not, embrace it or not, live by it, do whatever you will. But God's laws, all of His laws, not just the ones about morality, but His laws about morality uh, and, 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 and other issues in our life are no different than his law of gravity. You can attempt to break that if you like, but you will probably break a lot of other things first trying to do that. You can hate it. You can just rise up against it. You can march, make a sign. You can take a stand. You can whatever. But God has determined reality, and truth is that which corresponds with reality. We have a world that's dark, bottom line. And you and I need to shine in this dark, dark world. But in order to shine in this dark world, Peter tells us there are two things that we need to be keenly aware of, and he gives us both of them in these two verses. He says, make sure you understand, first of all, as a believer in Christ, exactly what your status in the world is. And, and he reminds us of a truth here that he's already, excuse me, given us in the first chapter 
But he says, as far as our status in uh, this world, he says, we're aliens and strangers. But he says, first of all, think about your status, and don't read that word too quickly. Don't read it as just a way to start a sentence. He says, first of all, understand what your status is with the Lord. He says, beloved, beloved, we are loved by God. And I don't want to make more of this than we should, but I will tell you, eight times in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he tells us that God loves us. As a matter of fact, I think one of the saddest things in the world is most people don't know that God loves them. God loves them. And I know there's some theology about these days that, that talks about, well, you know, God loves the ones he's going to save, but he doesn't necessarily love the others the same and all of that. I, I don't even want to mention names in that little war because there's no need to stir that battle. But I can tell you, God is not going to ask me to do something that he's not willing to do. And he told me to love my enemy. He told me to love my enemies. And as a matter of fact, if you go look up the word in the Greek, it's, yeah, it's the word. There's the word. It's agape love. Love your enemies with agape love. God's not going to say, I want you to do that, but I've chosen a few that I'm just going to love them very differently than I do all the rest. A lot of people may not love God, but I will tell you now, and I'll say it till I die. There is not a person ever been born on this earth that God does not love. He loves us. That's where I find my significance, by the way. That's what will separate you from the world faster than anything else is knowing who you are in Christ. If you are a born-again child of God, even more so, but even if you're lost, you're created in the image of God, and He cares about you. But we have a world that is trying so hard to find significance in everything else. And that's why they, they look so disgruntled. That's, that, that's why there's so many issues right now, and, and I could get into them, but I won't. Because they, they're, it's endless, but there's so many things right now. There's never going to be a point where uh, uh, offended group A is going to stand up and tell offensive group B that, well, you've done enough. That, that, that's, all, that's what we were looking for. We're, we're good now. There's too much joy in being sad. There's too, too, too much mileage to be had these days with being offended because we got a lot of crooked, sorry, rotten, low-life politicians that are making a lot of hay out of people not liking their situation and blaming it on somebody else. Somebody had to say it. Just say it. <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's the next problem we're going to work on, my hearing. Man, I want to tell you something. Just say it. I ran into some kids yesterday. I didn't have this hand on I wished I had. I didn't know them from Adam. They didn't know me. They're standing right outside my truck window, and their dad's talking to Chase back there. And those kids looked at me. I had my hook on. Arr. I figured out something. The pirates get the hook and then the eye patch. <laughs> I 
But I have my hook on. <laughs> and those kids just as cold as ice cream walked right up to my door and went, why have you got a hook on? I love it. I said, well, I shot my hand off. I was deer hunting. Their dad was a hunter, so I'm sure they could relate. I said, I, I, I shot my hand off pulling my rifle up. They said, why did you want to shoot your hand off? So cool. It is so refreshing. I was like, thank you, God. I just needed to hear some kids today that see something and they just respond and they just tell or ask it like it is. First of all, don't forget, in this world, we are beloved by God. That is our relationship with the Lord. Our status, secondly, with the lost. In verse 11, he says, with the lost, though, you are aliens and strangers today and this is so sad that it's worked its way into our churches but we give points for getting along with the world and 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 i can tell you people just disdain that kind of thinking they think preachers that preach that well we shouldn't get along with the world i'm not saying go out there and and, and just intentionally make enemies but but just let's look at what jesus said and by the way, let me give you a little assignment that might help you tremendously. I see people uh, on social media, and I hear them say things like this sometimes uh, just out loud in public, and they talk about that, well, the Jesus I grew up with and the Jesus I know now and the Jesus this, that, and the other, like there's a bunch of them, and, and you kind of get to make your own. He gives us the raw materials, and you just shape him into whatever you want him to be. That's a lie from hell. That's not true. You don't make your own Jesus. But let's just let me tell you this. Ignore everything I say about him and ignore what everybody else says about him. Just get you an old red letter edition Bible. And just go through, start in Matthew, and read just the words in red. Just, yeah, I'm not saying ignore the rest. Go back and read them too later. But just read the words in red and read what Jesus said. I'm tired of arguing with people about, did Jesus really say that most people will die lost and, and spend eternity in hell? Did he really say that? Well, yeah, he did. Just read it. Was the very first words that came out of his mouth when he started preaching according to Mark and Matthew, was that word repent? Some people think he never said that. That's the very words that he started with. Read what Jesus had to say. Here's what he had to say about getting along with the world. In Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. Everyone spoke well of the false prophets. That's how they talked about them. The prophets knew how to, to get the crowd to like them. They may not have cared much about God, but boy, they knew how to get the crowd to like them. They had these beautiful smiles and, and, and cool hair, and, 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 and yeah, I got a little issue with, with that. I, 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 I could use some of uh, Joel Osteen's hair. I, I, I admit that. It's a problem. I'm working through it. But I'm saying to you, there are false prophets out there, and Jesus says when it's like everybody, oh, Lord have mercy, they had 25,000 at the last meeting or whatever. 
I, I am not begrudging that at all, but I am telling you that that sometimes is a sign, Jesus is telling us, of someone who's not preaching the truth. Let's go to John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. That should be a warning. But because you are not of the world, but because I have chosen you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Man, I'll tell you, I, I, I know of Christians that are like, I, 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 I don't, the world doesn't hate me. I, I think it's bad that Christians have such a bad reputation in the world. I would agree with that in some way. But the way to get a right reputation is not by kissing up to a bunch of uh, nonsense that's not biblical and trying to live like the world, live like Jesus, be a light in the darkness. That's the best way. And then he's going to tell us in a moment how to really enhance our standing with them. Our struggle, our struggle, first of all, uh, or our status in this world. Secondly, I'm sorry, our struggle in this world. Secondly, let's talk about this. He says we have an internal struggle to start with. In verse 11, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Well, first of all, this verse has already told us something we needed to know, and that's that Christians are not exempt from fleshly desire Sometimes we act like that, well, there are sins the world struggle with, struggles with, and then there are sins that Christians struggles with. And a lot of times in public discourse, we talk about sins like, well, I'm not as patient as I need to be, or I'm not as grateful for all the blessings that God has given me. Well, what about lust? And what about lying? And what about presenting a, 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 a person or, or an a example of yourself that really doesn't exist? What about hypocrisy? What about dishonesty? I, I rarely ever hear anybody say, man, I have a real problem with gossip. That usually kind of calms the whole group down, does it not? People are confessing their sins, and then the last one to go says, well, I really gossip a lot. I tell everything I hear. Wow. That's why you don't have many groups like that. Those are real sins, and real Christians have to deal with them. Notice, first of all, this internal uh, struggle that we have. He gives us a description of it. He says, the fleshly lust that, that rage war. The key word there is war. Fleshly lust, they are, they're in a fight against us. We, it is a battle. It, it, it's, it is a real struggle to the death. And, and let me tell you something. One of the worst things in the world that can ever happen to you is to be in a fight and not know it. That's the quickest way to lose one. And I can give you a great example. December the 7th, 1941, we realized then for the first time that we already were in World War II. We had held out. World War I had, had, had left an impression on most Americans that we were begging our leadership, don't get us involved, don't get us involved. 
We were hearing things from Europe that sounded horrible, uh, too horrible to even believe. And, and, and as a matter of fact, when the planes were dropping the bombs at Pearl Harbor, we had uh, representatives from Japan in Washington discussing uh, different policies with our leadership at that very moment. We were in a war, but we did not realize it. And, and I want to tell you something. Don't take sin lightly. Don't take the lust of the flesh. When you begin to be tempted in certain areas of your life, we cannot afford, friend, to mess around with that. That is a battle. It's there not to just hinder you or, or, or to, to make you a little less than you ought to be. It is there to kill you. It is there spiritually to annihilate you. And I I, I, it breaks my heart to even say his name, but Dr. Ravi Zacharias, he's a great example of somebody that I don't think he realized early on he was in a war. I don't think he realized early on when he first started taking those little steps, crossing the line, and making decisions that he knew he should not make. I don't think that, that then I think is when the deception was really beginning to take hold of him. We know about King David, right? His army was off in battle. He didn't go to war that time. But the war sure came to him. And he sure lost. And I mean it affected him for the rest of his life. I read the other day an article on the pain of forgiven sin. Forgiven, but life is not back to where it used to be. Forgiven. There, there are people that have one of these because maybe of drunk driving or whatever, and, and, and maybe they're a Christian now and they're in church, but they still got one of these. We reap what we sow. There's no way around that. If you plant corn, you get corn. I mean, it's a simple thing like that. And I've got an Iowa farmer in here that will back me up on that. You plant corn, you get corn. Don't expect something else. I remember when I used to have a garden, one of the problems I always had, I'd forget what I planted where. But that's really not a problem, is it? Just wait. If you put broccoli here, I know this is deep truth. This is deeper than the phosphorescence, Right? Hang on, I'm bio biological too, or whatever. You, you plant broccoli, you get broccoli here. You won't get something else. And, and that's what I say about our world. It's at war with reality. They think they can plant one thing and get another. They think that they can decide however they want to do life, and it'll still work out. But it will not. I think about Samson, another one, and we'll move on. But man, Samson spent every day of his life looking around every corner for Philistines. And didn't realize it, but he was lying in the lap of one asleep. And she was about to give him a haircut. I'm going to tell you something. It might start small. There's none of us who are exempt from it. Be careful. Because secondly, not only is the description of our struggle a war... He talks about the devastation of our struggle. He said it is a war against the soul. The suitcase is the word here for soul. 
we get our word psychology from it and, and different words like that, but it means the whole being. It is a war against the whole being. The whole person is going to be affected by this. Sexual addiction, pornography, and things like that are so prevalent in our world right now. I've been studying some different things and trying to learn how to counsel, especially my brothers in Christ who may struggle with this. I came across a great article recently on sexual addiction. The, the, the first thing that begins to happen to, to you is isolation and emptiness because you are trapped in another world. See, your wife, guys, doesn't live in that world. That's a world in your mind. That's a whole other universe, and that's where your thinking is, and you spend a lot of time there. But your friends, your pastor, your loved ones, your wife, your children, men, they don't live in that world. And you become more and more isolated from them as you become more and more dedicated to a world that's not based in reality. Another one is self-centered. You become less sensitive to the needs in your family. A lot of men that get caught up in the porn deal, it, it's not the porn that ruins their marriage. It's the self-centeredness. It's the lack of attention that they're giving to their spouse or to their children or other important things in life. Character rot was another identifying characteristic of someone under the power of sexual addiction. It makes you make compromises that you thought you would never, ever make. That's on down the road, but it comes. Blindness, the inability to really make any rock-hard decisions. You, you were just like uh, in a quagmire all the time. You, you don't really get dedicated and faithful, and especially if you're involved in church and you're a Christian. Yeah, I said that. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with sexual addiction, you, it'll keep you on the sideline. You, you'll talk about getting involved, and, and you'll, you'll know you need to get involved, but it's like a big weight that's got you over here that's keeping you from doing that. Chemically, you're a mess, by the way, too. The serotonin levels in the brain are drained. It really affects you physically in the brain. Depression, anxiety attacks, all of that comes with it. A lack of joy. Happiness is based on fantasy, not reality. You live every day in the world of reality, but you find your comfort in a world without reality. It's like having to live in a place you don't want to live. You spend all day long in a world that you can't control. You're wanting to get back home to your life of fantasy. No peace. When Even when you're alone, you don't want to be. A lot of times people that struggle with this, it, 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 they can't be alone. They don't hang out by themselves. That's the last person in the world they want to be alone with because if they're not with a crowd, if they're not partying a little bit, if they're not hanging out, and it might be church or it might be somewhere else, but if you're not with, that, with a group of people, it, it, you're unable to be distracted from what's going on in here. Alone's a terrible place to be. No peace. And then last of all, I could go on, but one other one I put down, ministry itself. If you're a Christian and you begin to struggle with that, it, ministry goes to the bottom of the garbage can, friend. 
It's the last thing on the list. It, it, it just like there's too many other priorities. We desire God's love, but we cannot live without the comfort found in lust. Man, I know it's ominous. ominous. It's tough. It's quiet in here right now, and it ought to be. That's a terrible place to be. We are at war. And when the enemy first starts, do not play around. Don't play around. We have an internal struggle. We have an external struggle, last of all. He says in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they'll see them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He talks about two things here. One, our critics. He mentions them. They're going to want to slander us. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, that lets us know that as Gentiles, real born Gentiles, actual physical Gentiles, that he is now counting us as his people because with the Jews, he always talked about the ethne, the nations. And, and he would talk about the Gentiles. And that's, that's the word that we translate as Gentiles. It's the nations. He's telling Christians now, don't act like the Gentiles. That's who you used to be. Paul tells us you were dead in trespasses and sin when you lived there. Don't be like them. In other words, then he goes on to say, they will slander you as evil doers. Now, if you look it up, and boy, Dr. William Barclay does a great job of pointing out to us, what did they slander the early church with? Some of these... Uh, we probably will recognize in our world today. One of them, they did say, was you're, you're guilty of cannibalism, and that was worthy of death. That was a, a capital crime in the Roman Empire. But that was because some of the Jews who had not turned to Christ, and by the way, there's nothing in the world meaner than a religious person that doesn't know the Lord. I can tell you right now, if you ever wonder why in the world do those people of those faiths out that don't know Christ, why is it they can, how can they justify blowing up buildings and killing 3,000 people at one time? I can tell you there's nothing in the world meaner than a person who feels like his meanness, his, his hating, his self-loathing, his desire to murder others when he feels like he's been vindicated by his God. But he's a tough enemy. So the Jews without Christ, they went to the Romans. They said they're guilty of cannibalism. You know you ought to kill them because that's a punish, punishable by death. They talk about eating their Savior's flesh. Well, that is in the Gospel of John. And if you do take it out of context and, and willfully misunderstand it, you might come up with that. They also said they're guilty of atheism of all things. Can you believe that? They accused the Christians of being atheists. But that was because the Christians would not recognize the multitude of Roman deities. They told them they were having sexual orgies over there. That's because they had what they call the love feast. And that's where they got together before they had the Lord's Supper. And they had a feast. They ate. And they enjoyed each other's company. And, and it was glorifying to God. You know, I, I think... Boy, when this COVID thing is over, maybe we ought to have us a love feast. 
You know, I grew up in church where when we did the communion, man, that was a quietest Sunday in church. And they'd come out and they would fold that blanket and then they'd take it and it was like the American flag. You know, you couldn't let it touch the ground or you'd have to kill two people or something. And, and it was all just so ceremonial. In the early church, before they even got to that part, they got together and had a love feast. My friend Keith here today, we have a buddy of ours, Kenny Gooden, and he went to a new church one time. You'll remember this story. And, and they did the folding ceremony thing, and, and he didn't know it. And his first communion at his new church, he balled up the, the blanket that, or the covering over the table and watered it up and threw it on the front pew. He about lost his job before he got started. I'm not saying be irreverent, but I can tell you something. They enjoyed each other, and they actually ate and they had a meal together, and they fellowshiped together. And then after that, they would partake in communion. They said that these Christians are a threat to families because some of them were Christians, but they were married to non-Christians. And I can tell you right now, that does not work well. Some of you know that, right? It does not work when you are trying to be married to a non-believer, and God tells us that in His Word. Uh, I can tell you right now, uh, I don't do a lot of weddings, and there are several reasons why, but man, the first stipulation is you both have to be born-again Christians. Man, I'm never going to marry knowingly a lost person to a Christian. You are two people going in two different directions. You have two different sets of values, and and, and in the early church, some of them, Paul finally said, look, you, 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 it may not work. Your dedication is to God. They're never going to understand it. Hatred of mankind. They said they don't hang out with the worldly people. That's one of the things they accused them of. And disrespect for Caesar because they would not once a year burn a little piece of incense that said Caesar is God. You got a certificate for doing that like we give away at VBS, but you got one. And, and that said, yeah, I, I, I burn a piece of incense. And a lot of Christians or so-called Christians, I'm sure, thought, well, what's the big deal? I, I can do it and not mean it. But there were Christians who said, I'm not going to do it and not mean it. I'm not going to do it and, and I mean that. A lot of them, it cost them their life. They were slandered. Our critics, he talks about them. Secondly, he talks about our conduct. He says, because of your good deeds as they observe them, he says, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. One of these days, somehow or another, they will realize that person has a supernatural ability in them. This is our last point as we close today. Our conduct, man, when you live a supernatural life, people notice it. They notice it. When you do things that people know that is impossible as a human being. That guy at work, they treat him like trash. They make fun of him. They, they sabotage his machine. They hide his lunch. And he loves every one of them. He cares about every one of them. 
He tells them he prays for them. That's not possible. There's no way that can happen. Humans don't do that, and no, they don't do that unless they have a supernatural power called the Holy Spirit. They will see that. Jesus told us, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. There are no private Christians. Those that say, well, I'm a Christian, I just don't show it on the outside. No, you're not a Christian. There, there's, there's not, it's not a private deal. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As I close today, I want to read a passage from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read, May your peace abound. It seems good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! And how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. If I offered $100, and I'm, and I'm not, I said if I was. If I offered $100 this morning for someone to tell me who said those words. Most of you would not get the $100, I'm going to guess. It sounds like David, does it not? It sounds like one of the Psalms. You know who said these words? How great are his sons, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Not Abraham. Somebody want to take a guess? This is for no money. Not Job. Wow, who said it? Charlemagne? Nebuchadnezzar. You know why he said it? He went off and took this place captive called Judah. And he brought back a bunch of young guys that he thought would be helpful to him. He changed their names from Daniel to Belteshazzar. The others he called Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And it's in Daniel 4, after he's put three of them in a furnace. Later, another king will put Daniel in a den of lions. But after seeing the power of their testimony for their God. Yeah, Charles, you're right. Nebuchadnezzar. There wasn't a bigger pagan in all the Old Testament. And yet he gave God glory because of the witness of Daniel and his friends. That's powerful, friend. We need to reach this world. And the way to do it, the way to do it, the way to get their attention is to do something that's supernatural. Because when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you know what comes up right there? Not broccoli. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Oh, and faithfulness and then self-control. Now, my self-control 
needs a little lime around it, I think. But I have to be reminded sometimes that it's not my fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just the dirt. It's the fruit of the Spirit in me that brings those things out. They're supernatural. Supernatural. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you right now, Father. And we ask you to help us, God. Lord, you've spoken to us today. There is no doubt about that. Lord, I'm, I'm going to guess that certain parts were more personal for some than others. It always is. There were parts of this message today, Lord, you already know. They touched me painfully but deeply. God, I, I, I pray you'd help us. Help us to realize and know, first of all, that our status with you is that you love us. But our status with this world we're aliens and strangers you give no points for fitting in God for blurring the lines for making your teachings easier to swallow more user friendly gospels God you're not for that Lord we also have a struggle I pray, Lord, you'll help us. I pray, God, for that brother, maybe sister, but especially my brothers today who, like myself and everyone else, struggle with lust. And, Lord, I pray that when it comes, you'd help us to remember that it's not playing. It came for war. I pray, Lord, for others that I know today are struggling because Perhaps they are married to someone that's lost. Perhaps they're in a relationship unequally yoked and they're fighting with all of their life to do, Lord, the impossible. But we know what's impossible with us is possible with you. And we ask you, Lord, to save that spouse. God, we ask you to help us. You have put us in this world. I pray, Father, it wouldn't be lost on us. That when we do look around and we see a world at war with reality, that we'd realize and know that the set of believers, the group of believers that you chose to put in this world at this time to preach your word is us. Paul's not here. The one who wrote this letter, Peter, he is not here. Lord, this world could use a Barnabas, but he's not here. God, you put us here to be light in this darkness. Help us, God, to shine in the dark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.